for September 13th, 2010. It's the Overthinking It podcast, episode 115. Danger has a two-year contract. Welcome to the Overthinking It podcast, where we subject the popular culture to a level of scrutiny it probably doesn't deserve. From the land of the severely underslept, I'm your host, Matthew Rather, here with the panel and special guest Randall Schwartz returning. Hey, Randall, it's great to have you back. Hey, man, thanks for inviting me back again. You actually let me come back after that really crazy appearance I made last time. Well, it was, fa- it was fantastic. We actually got a uh, – we have an email. We're doing listener feedback today, and we have an email from the Philippines uh, about that episode, uh, about cool. geekiness. Um, but uh, We're huge in the Philippines. <laughs> yes. <laughs> our, yeah, no, our Filipino audience is, is fantastic. Uh, we have arrived. And short. And short, though. They're short. <laughs> oh, <laughs> just alienated uh, our whole Filipino uh, audience. All three of them, yes. Oh man. Um, yeah, there you go. Sorry, guys. Um, all right. Well, uh, we are going to be answering your emails and voicemails, and since we're answering questions, uh, this whole podcast instead of a question of the week, uh, Fenzel suggested that we have a statement of the week. So here, with his statement, uh, first in the alphabet, it's Peter Fenzel. Hello, and my statement is that. Uh, these colors don't run because I use cheer detergent. It keeps the colors from running. And I never forget to use it. Uh, everyone's an American who buys this because it's only pushed in America. I'm trying to think of as many different September 11th remembrance phrases as I can. Um, my pet goat. <laughs> I think we've paid our annual tribute sufficiently. <laughs> I don't know. I was pushing everybody to do something about September 11th, but you know what? It's uh, first of all, it was two days ago, or at this point, when you hear this podcast, it will have been two days ago. And second of all, it's uh, we don't have the appropriate level of seriousness to attend to it. I actually, so well, I will make I, this. What statement. I did, what I did, Pete, was I uh, I got a bunch of copies of my pet goat and burned them. <laughs> 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 I'm building a pet goat near Ground Zero. It's gonna be great. <laughs> I'm petting a goat near Ground Zero. Yeah. Oh, it's terrible. Oh, yep. <laughs> you can send your you can send your hate mail to a podcast at overthinkingit.com. I'll put it with the rest of it <laughs> in the circular file. No, I read all of the mail I get. So uh, there you go. Yeah, Pete, you're you're going to you're going to make a statement. Oh, my other statement is that before the end of the year, I am, in fact, going to make a post about Lady Gaga, which is something I know we've all been scared of doing. So because uh, we've always we sort of said that she's very difficult to overthink uh, because she works on such a sort of high cerebral level in her work. But I saw Bad Romance on the treadmill at the gym on the TV, and I decided that I need to write something about either that or something else about Lady Gaga. So on this, the day of the Video Music Awards, I will make that statement that before the year is out, uh, I will be writing a Gaga post. And I also apologize for my intermittent. Inter- intermittent writings. Uh, I have had some other personal things to attend to and family things, uh, emergencies and whatnot. So I will, you'll be seeing more posts from me uh, back on my regular rhythm in the future. Pete, no, one can, the, no one can fault you for, uh, <laughs> for not putting enough content online. Uh, fair enough, fair enough. And you haven't even seen my slash fiction site. <laughs> so there you go. All right. Um, Just wondering what, bad, what was Bad Romance doing on the treadmill? Uh, oh, there was the. Uh, I go to Boston. Oh, you mean like what was it actually doing on the physical treadmill? You like, said it was yeah. on the treadmill. 
She, uh, I was confused. Yeah, Lady Gaga is actually Pete goes to a very fancy gym where Lady Gaga yes. is hired to perform, uh, <laughs> and she does an cool. OK Go esque dance on the treadmills, um, as you know, Wonderful. as you run there and observe it. So wait, so Randall, you're not a big, uh, not a big gym goer, uh, perhaps, or have you seen my girth? <laughs> <laughs> That's what all the guys ask me, and I never answer it. Uh, but, um, nowadays, you go to the gym, the treadmills have built-in televisions. Not all of them, but many of them oh, have really? built-in televisions connected to the treadmills so that you plug your headphones into a little uh, module, and you can watch a TV, and it'll have different channels. And so the Boston Sports Club I go to now in beautiful Davis Square – since I've moved out of Cambridge – well, I'm still in Cambridge, but I'm closer to Davis than to Cambridgeport um, – uh, it has a bunch of music channels, and so you can watch lots of music videos. And I love watching the Dance Station because it's all these crazy European videos I've never seen before. And uh, they also have Top 40 and various hip-hop and Latin stations. So it's when cool. I'm putting it this way, the yeah. 54 cruises I've been on, I'm told there actually is a gym on board the ship. <laughs> <laughs> never seen it. <laughs> Fair enough. Well, if you need any other uh, questions answered about the basic mechanics of gym equipment or machinery, <laughs> I'll, I'll be here for you, man. So, gotcha. No. Pete and I actually, Definitely. Pete and I were going to at one point going to start a website and uh, and podcast called Nutra Hyphen about the kind of the meta aspects of. Uh, uh, the meta aspects of fitness, of exercise and health, um, yeah. and we, it never got never got off the ground. Though we we actually recorded a couple episodes, and I thought said some pretty interesting stuff uh, yeah. in them, but uh, it never got off the ground. But uh, I it was called Nutra Hyphen to uh, to highlight the meta nature of the undertaking, and we, it was going to um, oh uh, it, it was going to be like the Nutra Hyphen podcast. Don't you mean the yeah. Nutra, Nutra podcast? No, no, no. The Nutra hyphen podcast. Yeah, but you don't pronounce the hyphen. <laughs> oh, yes, you do. Mm. Um, all right. So, uh, no, 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 Mark Lee, next in alphabetical order. You may make a statement. I have two statements. First, I have no idea what the hell you guys are talking about. Nutra hyphen. I don't get it. <laughs> uh, second is uh, also in honor of the, of the VMAs. Uh, don't fear the beaver. That's what I have to say, uh, and, and that means a lot of things. Uh, first of all, is uh, do not uh, do not be afraid. Do not do not fear that which you do not comprehend. I feel like a lot of people just uh, don't quite get what this Justin Bieber business is all about, and why this fourteen-year-old boy is such a huge sensation. Um, I don't really understand it either, but I don't uh, out of fear I don't reject it, so I just embrace it. Don't fear the Bieber. Also, uh, don't be prepared for an article I'm going to write this Tuesday. It's going to drop uh, about Justin Bieber, so get ready for that. And just embrace, just, you know, try to understand, try to comprehend. It's not to be feared. Excellent. <laughs> uh, thank you, Mr. Mark Lee. Would you like, would you like to tell us about your uh, last experience at the gym? My last experience <laughs> at the gym? Um, here's, here's, I, I'm ashamed to admit that I have a gym membership. I'm paying for it. Mostly to use as a shower for when I bike to work. <laughs> That's about <laughs> it. <laughs> hey, I joined, the Yale, by the office. I joined the Yale Club for the same reason. <laughs> I would go into New York to audition, and I would get up so early, get on the train, and stop there to shower on the way to the uh, – it was a very expensive shower. Uh, all right, special guest Randall Schwartz, are you, are you prepared? Do you have a prepared statement that you'd like to I have, a, I, have a, I have a statement I'd like to read here from this 14-page memo. Uh, print, quote, hello world, backslash in, quote, semicolon. <laughs> statement. <laughs> this is a statement. 
Yeah, and notice, you know, you know what I mean. Notice he didn't say. Uh, no, you have to know what language he was talking, right? He didn't say uh, print f. Uh, open parenthesis, single quote, hello, comma, right. you know? <laughs> well, that's me geeking out. I know this is pop culture, so I should actually say, yes, that's Pearl. It runs your website that you're, fam- if you're familiar with most of the time, and I know a little bit about that. That's my claim to fame. Absolutely. Yeah, that's, uh, <laughs> yeah, that's, put, that's putting it mildly. Um, <laughs> Matt, Matt, Why not? Does, does our website run on Pearl? I thought it was just um, no, PHP, <laughs> probably. Mystical, mystical fairies of... Uh, internet, uh, internet phantoms, smoke our mirrors. Website, our website runs on uh, our website runs on caffeine. <laughs> and yeah, yeah, yeah. I was gonna say yeah, our website runs on Duncan, pretty much. <laughs> Good. Our website runs on me staying up till two in the morning. I would like to make I would like to make the following statement. Uh, I will implement keyboard navigation on overthinkingit.com. I was up until three in what? the morning last night doing it, doing it. And I realized uh, <laughs> doing it really nice. Yes, nice. High five. High five. Oh. <laughs> by if it's a more it, than four hours, to call the doctor. Whereby doing yeah. it, I uh, <laughs> oh no, I was doing it for more than four hours. Whereby doing it, I mean typing on my computer uh, in TextMate. I, I'm sorry, uh, uh, Randall. I use neither Vi nor Emacs. I uh, write in. I write in TextMate. Um, well, on the Mac, I do. I, uh, you know, uh, back in my my old shell account days, back when I used to have a dial up shell account to uh, netcom dot com, I uh, I I would dot com dot com dot com dot com. I would do it, and I would uh, write an Emacs. That's for sure. Textmate's fine if you're on the Mac. I, I'm not. I have no objection to anybody using Textmate. Now, are you using jQuery to be able to hook it up in a cross platform way? Yes. Is that yeah, like JDate? Yes, that- jQuery. JQuery for the rule. Yes. Yeah. I, well, our, yes, all jQuery is our... exactly like JDate, Pete. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> the same thing. Yeah. Uh, quite. <laughs> Except you have a quizzical look. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Where? You? Yeah, you J- and my mother, what? <laughs> the jQuery is when you ask uh, is when you ask out your your JDate. Yes, all that. And I actually the other the other week I rewrote the featured carousel on overthinking it because it was written in uh, Mutools and I wanted it to be written in jQuery because all the rest of the stuff uses jQuery. Anyway, so I I bound all these actions to the to the key up events for you know JK you know to go through comments very quickly R to reply C to compose a new comment uh, O to open a post in a list of posts and things like this. It was very cool. And I realized I had forgotten to check uh, whether a, a form input had focus. So mm. that as you were writing a comment, <laughs> as you were writing a Rookie comment, mistake. Yeah, I, hate that. I hate that when that happens. I can't type the letter J in a comment. No, you, you could, except your, your browser would be bouncing all over the place without, <laughs> without, without you knowing why. And it was three in the morning when I realized I did this. I said, oh, crap. And I just, uh, I just you know, rolled back two versions in Subversion and uh, you know, put it back the way it was. But I have all this code. I just have to add one if statement. Oh, um, and Carousel? Carousel without a Logan's Run reference? Come on. Uh, uh, oh, oh, can, we, can we implement the Konami code into our website? Huh? Huh? <laughs> If I did that, I would not. I would not. I would not tell anyone. I think there I've are jQuery it. plugins right. actually that implement the the Konami code. Um, 
All right. So uh, before we launch into listener feedback, uh, Randall was at DragonCon as a panelist. I was. Uh, uh-huh. Tell us a little bit about DragonCon because we we go we have been to one con as overthinking it. We went to New York Comic Con, uh, but uh, the world the world of cons is beginning to open to us. Because... Well, a lot of us went to PAX East too. Oh yeah, that was not that's true. Prom- prominent. Yeah, that wasn't oh, right. properly and a we con. Were, um... And we were in uh, Improv Boston's Geek Week. I mean, I guess that's yeah. not a convention in the sense that it's 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 more of a what a, a entertainment festival. But um, yeah, you know, we we were we were in it. But we're we're trying to get you know a higher profile in in these kinds of things. So, Randall, tell us a little bit about DragonCon and uh, uh, how it was there and what you did there. Yeah, DragonCon is amazing. I have been there now, I think, nine years in a row as a as a uh, panelist, as you call it, but they call them guests. And there's only for the fifty thousand people that are attending, there's only four hundred of us that have the special guest name tag. And probably the primary reason to have a guest name tag is to get you into the green room, which is free snacks and and soda all day. But at night, it's free alcohol, and we go till one a.m. every night. Uh, the A-list actors tend not to come there. So if you look at the four hundred people that attend, probably the top thirty or forty probably aren't in there. But like almost everybody from like B-list down is there at some point. And so I've gotten to chat with some very cool science fiction fantasy uh, uh, TV stars, movie stars, uh, authors, all sorts of people. I'm not going to name names because it would just be a privacy violation, so I'm just not going to go there. Just imagine. Just look at the list. I've talked to probably most of those guys there. Um, so that's really sort of the main thing for me. Uh, the other main thing for me there is I do a panel called Hacker 101 and Hacker 201. Hacker 101 is simple. People come in and ask basic questions about how to uh, repurpose the things they know about. Uh, that's probably the easiest way to say that without getting into too much trouble. And uh, Hacker 201 is better, though, because we do that Sunday night, 10 p.m. Uh, we have an array of alcohol that we have smuggled into the hotel. <laughs> it's great. There's tons of alcohol sitting right in front of me. And people come up in a long line asking questions because every person gets asked a question gets a drink. And so it starts getting crazier and crazier as the night goes on. About 12.30, we order pizza and smuggle that in because you can't have outside food and drink at this place. No, so we, we get pizza in, and we're there till like 4 in the morning. And we are just – by that time, usually most of the alcohol is gone, not always all of it. But it's great because people ask some really intense, hardcore questions about, you know, I'm trying to get this set up to do with that thing. And, I'm, and, and I, what, how about Wi-Fi security here? I mean, if I set up a firewall that way – we know when the guys on the panel are actually, you know, in this area. So we're pretty smart about all this stuff. And so we have a great time answering that for them. Um, they also have a Wi-Fi setup, which is really great because we have a wall of shame on the wall. Uh, it, it's got a sniffer on it. And if you put your password in the clear in any way, shape or form, it goes up on the wall instantly. Oh, yeah. That's brutal. <laughs> wow. But it teaches people right away. It's like, here's a free Wi-Fi, just like any of the other thousands you got to do in Starbucks and everywhere else. Right. Uh, uh, all the. Uh, all the McDonald's now, free Y, that sort of stuff. You do not know who's sniffing, really, uh, you know, unless it's shaped like a dog. But you don't know who's sniffing. So what you want to be doing is paying attention to. Like when I'm in a public Wi-Fi place, I actually run a sniffer program against myself to make sure that I haven't revealed a password accidentally because I did something stupid. So uh, it's great that we have this set up there. So uh, for me, the con is about uh, – um, you know, I do, do a couple panels. I hang out in the green room. I see – you know, way too many 
women of various shapes in outfits that have way too few things for some of the people that are shaped that way. Uh, and I see, but you know, tall costumes, like, I like, like a, pants with four legs, or uh, <laughs> just yeah. Well, there are, there are never there, mind, there should never be mind. there should be a, there should be an upper limit for the size for a slave Leia costume. Let me just say that. Okay. Oh, wow. the slave Leia costume. You guys, you guys throw heat. You guys are. <laughs> So I deal with that too. Uh, I go with a friend of mine. Uh, this girl I met like five or six years ago. Her name is Jedi Jenny, and she's uh, she's her she brings, her parents named her. She's or? well, no, no, she oh. named herself that. Her parents named her just Jenny, but she put the oh. Jedi in front of it. But she's oh. totally into cosplay, so she brings sixteen outfits with her for the weekend. And I tell you, she has a perfect slave Leia. You know, she's got this great uh, Selena from uh, from Underworld. She actually has teeth. That can pierce a beer can. She puts those on, and she can. That's part of her party trick. She, goes, you know, right and opens it up, opens up the can. Uh, you know, with with the contacts for the eyes and the perfect, uh, you know, uh, pleather suit and the whole thing. She's just, she's ready for all. This. this is what she does. She actually plans her entire year around Dragon Con. She's already reserved the hotel for next year already. I mean, that's that's how crazy she is on that. Reserve the, uh, reserve the hotel room. Yeah, because you have to. Because it's just, it's it's it really. If you want the good rooms, they're gone within a week now. That's it. it. Because this thing takes over downtown Atlanta. It's 50,000 people taking over the four or five biggest hotels in downtown uh, Atlanta. And the, I tell you, the, it's like, you know, hotel uh, elevators are a total mess by Saturday night. Uh, it, but it's crazy. 30 tracks. I'm on the EFF track, but there's like, you, you name the track, there's something about it. American television, British television. Uh, there's a whole gaming room that people check in on Friday and don't leave till Sunday or Monday. So there's the funk smell, the con funk smell uh, in that room. Very prevalent. Um, it's a crazy place. I love it. I just, it's, it's my indulgence conference for the year because I do so many conferences because it's my job. But this is the one I do because I have to. I mean, because personally, I want to. I mean, it's just, it's just a great time. So uh, I'll be there again next year if they let me. Uh, they say basically I get, as long as I got accepted to be a guest the first couple of times, as long as I don't throw somebody off the balcony, I'm probably okay. So hopefully I'll be back there again next year uh, representing again uh, the, uh, the conservative computer geeks of the world, as I often do. So, uh, Randall, my password should not be uh, password one two three four five. Yeah, I should add a six to that. That makes it more secure. One two three four five six. Yeah, I guess so. Yes, so, yes. Time. There you go. That's that's the that's the win point. Yes, exactly. Go, yeah. <laughs> that's the, uh, that's five characters now. Six characters. Yeah, yeah. It really uh, that, does, that that totally makes the difference. Yes. Um. Yeah. Absolutely. <laughs> hey. Uh, note to uh, note to our listeners: we don't have a um, we don't have a uh, uh, you know SSL certificate on overthinking it. So if we were to ever do something that we're probably going to do by the end of the year, which is uh, open up some forums on the site, what? And you have to log in to overthinking it. Don't use a password that you use for anything else because it will be transmitted in clear text over the network. So no uh, clear text. Yeah. So um, you know. Uh, yes. Well, hey, that's fantastic. Well, I'm glad. Did did you? Uh, what was your best question at the uh, at the uh, hacker two hundred one panel? Oh my god! And you're going to ask that too. Darn it. Uh, well, I'll tell you though the memorable one. I mean, I won't. I won't uh, freight it with okay. the expectation of the best. The most memorable thing that I've done on a hacker panel, uh, I'm often sort of just the color commentary because really I'm with three other guys that know actually 
a lot more about this than I do. And I'm kind of on there, sort of the token celebrity, which is kind of cool. Uh, the one made man who actually has a felony for being a, a computer criminal. So that's kind of like my play there. But um, and that's another whole other story. That's a whole other story. We can talk about that later. Um, but uh, so what I do is I kind of provide the comedy relief. So there was a question from the audience. I think it was a couple of years ago. Guy gets up to the microphone and he says, uh, blah, 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 blah. And uh, Johnny X, one of the panelists, leans over to the mic and goes, hmm, the short answer is no. And I lean over to my mic and go, the long answer is no. It's a standard. It's, 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 it's a classic. But it la- the audience went crazy because that they had never – most of them are kids. They never heard that joke before. <laughs> they never so heard it's, that joke. It's like, it's yeah. like the uh, – that's just like the old joke. What does a yellow light mean? Uh, go faster. <laughs> no, slow, slow down. What? Oh, oh, oh. I, won't, I was I won't doing the Starman it. version. Yeah. The Starman version was go faster. Um, I think they did that. I think they did that bit on Taxi. Right? Someone is taking their uh, uh, their driver's test. What does yellow light mean? Slow down. What right. does uh, um? Anyway, okay, off the cons and into the emails. Starting with a voicemail from. San Fra- into the emails, starting with the voicemail. Uh, you know, you can email us at podcastedoverthinking at dot com or call two zero three two eight five six four zero one. That's two zero three two eight five six four zero one. Or text. We have a text that I'll read later. Um, here's a here's our first uh, voicemail, and I'm not sure that it's actually real. Hey, overthinkers. This is Robin in San Francisco, latitude thirty seven degrees forty seven minutes. Longitude 122 degrees, 24 minutes. Just figured I'd give you a call because apparently Fenzel was outed on the Righteous Indignation podcast this week as being Dr. Paranormal from the Edgar Allan Poe Community College, organizer of the Million Ghost March. And, you know, I just figured I had to give you a call and say, excellent. Is that true? Uh, I I wish it sounds pretty awesome, but apparently uh, there's another Peter Fenzel out there who's done something cool. I mean, my I, I don't <laughs> think that my dad is, <laughs> is is doing this sort of stuff. Uh, I mean, my dad is also named Peter Fenzel. I know of three Peter Fenzels. There's me. There's my dad, um, and he uh, uh, and he's mostly involved. He, if you have any interest in uh, Revolutionary War era history in Northern New Jersey, he does lectures on that uh, as his side job and is trying to write a biography of John Fell, which should be exciting. Um, and then there's this sketchy German photographer who I used to come up in my Google searches with lots of pictures of like middle-aged women in leather jackets. But other than that, I don't really know. Uh, I don't really know. So what do you think I was, that I was part of an Edgar Allan Poe online community? Um, yeah, that, I mean, that, I have various like aliases and stuff, and do things like that, but that's not something that I did. Apparently, there was I don't know, but I just I, I just looked up that address online, and it turns out to be the Moscone Center. So maybe it's like Steve Jobs. Oh, that's it's that's, definitely Steve Jobs. That's, that is Steve coming in. <laughs> Bam, done. And it, but one more thing, Pete Fentil is uh, on an Edgar Allan Poe slash fic enthusiast. Uh, oh, is that what it was in reference to? Because I make a lot of jokes about I mean, slash I think fiction. There was, I think there was something uh, – no, I guess there was something done online uh, that uh-huh. was done anonymously, but that uh, uh, someone named Peter Fenzel was outed as the um, 
uh, as the uh, as the what the originator of it. So Lazy Web, get to work. Huh. Tell us, tell us what the hell. Uh, <laughs> Tell us what the hell that is. Um, uh, this is like one of those things where, like, I patted somebody on the back and said "good job," and it was like the wrong person, and they were like, "Oh man!" It's like that. I don't know. It's like that episode of Firefly where Jane gets his own clay city named after him. But anyway, you guys don't haven't watched Firefly, so no. I've heard of it. Yep. So do we have other ones that don't involve things that I haven't done? <laughs> <I guess. laughs> yeah, actually, all of our all of our voicemails this week are, are about things that things that you haven't done. Well, you know that the listener feedback episode is the the one opportunity I take to uh, shamelessly in public radio style solicit your donations. the uh, The kindness of the of our listeners who have supported what we do with uh, uh, cash money uh, by clicking the donate link, the PayPal donate link on overthinking it, uh, overwhelms me uh, and and all of us. And I, whenever I, I see one, I'm I'm so grateful. Uh, thanks to everyone who has donated, and uh, I send a thank you email to one um, one person who has who has donated, named Jeremy. And uh, Jeremy wrote back to say this, sir, you are quite welcome. Anyone that dares to talk about fortune gets a podcast on Inception out the same weekend as the movie opens gets an O plus for effort in my book. I prefer to use <laughs> the Harry Potter British school of grade measurement because even though I always get it wrong, no one dares contradict me. The magic overthinking was a true. True gift from the internet gods, such as they are. I believe there is Entropos, god of destruction, Polyhymnia, muse of sorrow, and obviously Gates Jobs, twin-headed evil god of technology. Truly, I had not even considered there could exist a bastion of pure thought and hyper-mindality in the known metaphoric spectrum of probabilistic quantum entanglements that represents the... Am I having a stroke, or are you just talking in a bunch of words? (laughs) Of computer-based <laughs> terminal devices through the medium of some sort of wire business. <laughs> if I type here, will he read it? Go f. Hey, get out of the Google Doc. Get out of the Google Doc, fi- fellow podcasters. <laughs> Only that first part will, will, was from me. Thanks for the memories, uh, uh, says Jeremy. He says thanks for the memories. I consider each podcast I listen to worth precisely. Uh, uh, 0.50, depending on the subjective values of quality and personal enjoyment on the fake British scale of one farthing to 42 groats or their modern equivalent. <laughs> You're just taking the piss, aren't you, Jeremy? You're just trying to make me think. Uh... So your latest Inception one was related, rated precisely 700 illegal forged Krugerrands. High praise indeed, I think. Be salient and true, soldiers of overwrought overthought, Jeremy, latitude uh, 38 <laughs> Point nine zero degrees north, uh, longitude seventy seven point zero five degrees west. I think negative. Living west, living right? in the basement of the of the uh, Moscone. Yes. Yeah. Um, <laughs> if so, if uh, I didn't have a headset, I would slow clap. But unfortunately, it doesn't work on my headset. Yeah, that's, that's um. Thanks very much for that. Thanks awesome. very very much for that, Jeremy. And thanks very much to your donation. And thanks to everyone who supports uh, what we do. Our our expenses are are not. Not, um, well, they're substantial, but they're not uh, unreasonable considering we don't pay ourselves anything for doing this. So if you, uh, if you consider what we do uh, worth supporting and you happen to have the cash money to support it, you can uh, uh, give a gift of cash. I would say donation, but we are not a chari- we're not a charity, so it's not a donation in that sense. You can give a gift of cash by uh, clicking the, the PayPal link or uh, buy an awesome T-shirt from our Zazzle store or uh, use the Amazon link. Use any Amazon link from overthinkingit.com 
and we get the kickback uh, from that. And we know that our our listeners are voracious consumers of media. So, um, so give us uh, your money. Yeah. So hey, when you <laughs> consume media voraciously, why not give us our little four percent cut? All right. The end of my shilling. On to our next thing from Ben. Hey, guys, he writes, thanks for playing my voicemail and responding to my comment. I really appreciate it, and I'm glad that Starship Names bore some overthought fruit. I was just listening to 4 Discourse, and as an evolutionary biologist, I have to comment on Parrish's analogy about evolution and intelligent design. Oh, he's about to well actually us. We're getting well actually. <laughs> yeah, there's a well actually coming. Um, he, uh, yes, well actually, yes, an evolutionary biologist. No, sorry, I shouldn't. I shouldn't say that. <laughs> Go make fun of our audience. How is the ones that are our friends in real life? Yeah, <laughs> the the, um, the, uh, the TFT podcast, the These Effing Teenagers podcast, uh, expected. If they write in an email, Sheila and I are going to mock them. But our, um, our regular audience, it's a kinder, gentler group. All right. So uh, here's what uh, Ben has to say. To say that a sort of selection acts on the content of a forum like 4chan is not a bad analogy. Out of the morass of posting, some items get picked and spread, although the mechanism here is arguably very different from natural selection acting on organisms. In biological terms, however... Quit typing. (laughs) The text is moving around on my screen and I can't read it. In biological terms, that was me, by the way. That wasn't Ben. In biological terms, however, this process doesn't necessarily lead to greater, quote, volumes of content, which I interpret as diversity. Although, empirically speaking, some groups of organisms have undergone periods of dramatic diversification. uh, For example, insects or flowering plants. Uh, Also, pointing out that evolutionary processes can happen quickly is a nice tidbit since uh, evolution by natural selection can remarkably occur quite quickly, uh, even though there is traditionally thought to be a slow gradual process. And for that, he references the work of Peter and Rosemary Grant, who you can look up on Wikipedia. However, to say that OTI uh, resembles intelligent design because it is deliberative and slow is a bit off. Proponents of intelligent design support a type of creationism. More specifically, they assert that complex biological phenomena, uh, for example, the bacterial flagellum, uh, have to have been magically brought into existence by some kind of supernatural power. Within the context of this assertion, there is no necessary (laughs) assumption of uh, deliberation or disjointedness. The uh, intelligent designer may have just waved his or her magic wand and plunked everything down fully formed. Um, So that is to say... uh, deliberativeness is not necessarily a quality of intelligent design is the point that Ben is trying to make. Of course, I'd hesitate to draw any analogy between OTI and intelligent design since uh, intelligent design is pseudoscientific bilge and that's a rant you've probably already heard from me. Cheers and courage in a place on the moon, Ben. <laughs> Wait, is he saying that we're not made in God's image? He's saying we're not intelligent, man. It's really very thinly veiled. It's like... I'm insulted. Yeah, I'm not. He's awesome. Subintelligent design. <laughs> so wait, so what was the part of his first... So he was saying that that the, we shouldn't confuse the mechanisms that are used for selection, although it's a useful analogy. Um, and what? And that just sort of like the rate of change is not uh, a good indication of whether it aligns with certain sorts of ideas of evolution or not. Um, trying to follow exactly what was, was being said there. What, what, uh, what he's saying that... It, you know, uh, Parrish's argument, as I in the Forchanic discourse episode, as I recall it, was that the um, the kind of freewheeling nature, the sort of petri dish nature of uh, of uh, image boards like Forchan, uh, like the random board of Forchan, I should say, um, 
will lead to a, a f- greater diversity of content, more uh, more generation <clears throat> of of more and more various ideas uh, because of the the kind of natural selection, quote unquote, operating on it. And he he says that um, in biological terms, uh, that kind of nat- a selective pressure acting on a population, whether a population of ideas or a population of organisms, does not necessarily lead to greater diversity, though. Uh, on, on the scale of biological time, it's been known to happen. Right, right, Sorry, right. Okay, well, that makes sense. Re- re- and in fact, initially, it's less diversity because what you really have is the winners win, and the winners right. gonna, the winners are going to be the ones that breed uh, like I'm not. So, yeah. <laughs> like, so there's fewer baseball teams in the World Series than there are in the regular season. Yes. <laughs> is what you're saying. Yeah, what you're saying is that, that natu- natural se- uh, selection is just like <laughs> baseball. There's few. Yeah, there are fewer players, and they have a far fewer number of uniforms because the other teams have been selected for through the natural process of hitting the ball and running around the base. Well, this is something – I mean this is something just bringing it back into our area, right, rhetorically happens a lot, right? People kind of ascribe a certain agency to evolution as though there were an evolution thing that were evolutioning everything along. And right, yeah. you know what I mean? And evolution is not the um, – uh, is not a thing, you know. It's a it's a dis- it's a name for a, a process that happens, right? Yeah. yeah. And you've really got to you've really got to go to look at the the blind watchmaker, and uh, I forget the name of the other book that he had previous to that, but uh, incredible stuff talking about how evolutionary pressure actually exists, but it's not because there's something out there forcing it along. It's because the fact is, who wins in the in the mix up of g- genetics? It's going to be the ones that have more adaptability, more you know, I fight you and I win that kind of thing. So it's it's really it, it, it's sort of like everything that we see today can be explained by the fact that evolutionary pressure made it the most winning thing. Mm. It's it's interesting because this the same thing that Ben is bringing up is it's sort of like the ideas of kind of. Uh, yeah, diversification, right, and and natural selection are very tied uh, together psychologically and epistemologically in in our in our culture. And I'm thinking in particular about kind of socialist social Darwinist ideas of free market evolution, free market economics, where there's this idea that competition is going to lead to better ideas, right? That in a market economy you have better ideas and more efficiency than you do in a control economy because you have competition. Whereas uh, I think there's an assumption in that state that competition is going to increase diversity, and it doesn't necessarily do that. In a lot of places where competition is the mitigating factor, there are other factors that are increasing the level of diversity. So if you have a whole bunch of plants that are flowering, right, and like there are, and, or insects that are like proliferating in this area, uh, you may have a, a rate of mutation or, or rates of change because of the way that the genetics of the organisms work that cause the traits and phenotypes of the organisms to change rapidly. And then selection, natural selection steps in and speciates them and, and narrows things down. But it's not necessarily a foregone conclusion that the diversity is going to be there just because the competition is there. So if you well, have like two giant car makers that are competing against each other, it's not necessarily going to be more efficient. Whereas if you have like 30 different car makers all making different cars, you might get a better idea of getting to efficiency that way because of the sort of dispersion of ideas and the sort of the fact that many, many people are trying. Right? I, th- I think so. the, the other side of that, though, is that you actually need a selection mechanism that has some randomness to it, because if you have a selection mechanism that always picks taller people, you'll eventually end up with people that are avatar tall, you know, they're not going to be mm-hmm. like normal height. So what you need is the fact that, and, and this is true about 
real world is that there are uh, various climates that are warm, cold, wet, dry, and that led to diversity. Without that, we actually would all kind of look kind of homogenous at this point. And that's why our Filipino audience is shorter than the rest of us. Well, that's actually that's interesting. I, I, I would offer something else that I've sort of read that I don't really know with authority, which is mm-hmm. that the most biologically diverse populations of human beings are the ones who are still in Africa, right? The ones who are most genetically diverse. And in fact, the ones who've been exposed to uh, like changing climates over time are actually less genetically diverse, right? Like the people who've been under like intense... Uh, biological uh, uh, intense climate pressure, of course, that has truncated their particular genetic lines, that there's less genetic diversity among people in Europe than there is among people in Africa, because there were, you know, extra hundreds of thousands of years of mutations in Africa, and there wasn't uh, necessarily an, an, a climate pressure uh, to, to, to force everybody down a very specific path by killing everybody else off, right? And so, also, so whereas, yeah. And also so. think of the fact that who, who was it that actually migrated to Europe? It'd be like actually a small group actually eventually populated most of Europe from right. the groups there. So, and, and, and who made it across the land bridge from uh, Russia to Alaska? It's going to yeah. be a small group compared to the rest of the population. Yeah, and it's going to take a long time for those people to proliferate the same level of genetic diversity that's in Africa right. because people have been in Africa for far longer than people have been in any of these other places, I believe. Um, I mean, the, the, the migrations are relatively early, depending upon where you draw the line between humanity and our predecessors, um, mm-hmm. which is interesting. But again, I can't source any of that stuff off the top of my head. This is like, oh, I read an article this one time, so it must be true, uh, and maybe not. But, uh, you know, maybe we'll have other uh, evolutionary biologists write in and correct the things that we're saying that are wrong. That's why I like to make suppositions that are not supported. It's just to encourage <laughs> – it encourages engagement and interactivity with the audience. Wonderful. So, yeah. yeah, it encourages them to, uh, to write in and say, well, actually. Uh, all yeah. right. We got a lot of uh, – we got a lot of um – Stuff about Inception. So let's uh, oh. let's dive into Inception for a few minutes here. Uh, Philip writes in, "Dear Inception," he writes, <laughs> "I have a dream. I have a dream." Um, a few thoughts. Uh, he says, "In Inception, there's always someone quote driving the dream." End quote. Uh, the guy driving mm-hmm. the dream drives level two. Ames in the hotel drives level three. Uh, British guy drives limbo. But who is driving the first level in the airplane? I could only think the stewardess, but surely they'd have a member of the team doing that. Um, yeah, with the machine. Yeah, I. You know what? This is this this is uh, uh, <laughs> ambiguously worded. But but hold on. Let me um. Let's get through. Okay. Let's get through all the Inception material, and then we can do a more freewheeling. Uh, discussion mm. of um, Inception. Uh, how can the entire film be a dream, uh, as suggested by the spinning top at the end? Well, hold on, that's not it what falls that over. Suggests. That's what. Yeah, that's not what that suggests. Anyway, sorry, I, I said I wouldn't editorialize. And <laughs> uh, how can the entire film be a dream, as suggested by the spinning top at the end? As we've already seen, the spinning top fall over in the film. Uh, surely, the only the end only suggests that uh, Cobb is still stuck in limbo. Uh, three. Um, any thoughts on the level of the film, whether the film works at in whether Mo or Cobb are right, whether Limbo is the true reality uh, slash are there actually many layers of true reality? Uh, surely you're missing the central tenant uh, of the film if you don't question whether Mo is still alive, despite Cobb's I can never imagine your imperfection speech. Um, this is from uh, Philip in Hitchin, England. Oh, no latitude and long- longitude. Uh, oh, let me look it up. Let me look it up. Wait, by by Mo, does he mean Mal? That's the character's name, right? Or yes, I think okay. it has to be. Okay. 
Um, Noah Mittman uh, left a voicemail, though he asked uh, us not to play the voicemail and just to kind of summarize the argument. Uh, he makes the same point about the top. Um, uh, we see the top fall earlier in the movie, so earlier in the movie it can't be a dream, or can it? Uh, mm-hmm. And Noah actually does something else, which, I mean, I guess has been kind of commented on a little bit. Uh, Noah makes a con- uh, connection between dreaming and movie-making. Um, that is that is to say, sort of reminding you, the kind of Brechtian alienation effect of reminding you that you're in a movie, um, you know, is kind of like reminding you that you're in a dream, which is something that, uh, uh, is, something that is sort of a plot point in the movie, which is an interesting connection. Okay, finally, Kat, uh, who is a regular listener and commenter on the uh, uh, These Effing Teenagers podcast, which returns this week, by the way, since uh, Gossip Girl and Glee uh, return to air uh, this week and next week, respectively. Um, by the way, that's a plug for that. We've been, uh, we've been doing, Professor Sheely and I have been doing uh, summer school on the British television show skins but we're back now uh to our uh, to our bread and butter gossip girl and glee uh so check that out on overthinkingit.com uh cat writes in to say uh get, to gives a uh, to give a reading of um of inception she writes in and says mal is a mother who abandons her children she seems to fall into the basic outline of the woman unhappy with her reality convinced her children can't be really her children that another world is possible out there and that um that's the world she's supposed to be in in uh, inhabiting breakdown of the family union and, and uh, maternal instinct, or perhaps hyper maternal instinct and spousal devotion, uh, is caused by Dom's interference. Uh, the manipulation of Mal's reality, world, and belief system has led to all of these problems. The pressure of the inception on her mind is, has warped it. This is a regret for Dom. Um, uh, uh, okay, so the, the okay, so she's summarizing a little bit, but then she gets to she gets to the kind of the um, feminist interpretation. I think this manipulation is distinctly male, uh, as though uh, Ariadne is brought into it. It originates apparently with Dom's father and with Dom uh, and those who have previous experience, uh, who are all male. The previous characters both need the the female characters both need to be taught shared dreaming. Uh, as to the version that Mal is present in the film, uh, as to the version of Mal that is present in the film, uh, it's this ideal that is causing problems. The idealized concept of what she was and should be uh, is rebellious and unstable and can't be controlled. It's not lovely like the real Mal prior to Dom's inception of her mind. Um, trying to preserve the ideal, trying to, to make that ideal uh, take the place of his actual wife, Dom creates the destructive force that ultimately destroys himself and ruins the job. So that's, uh, that is Kat's reading of, um, of Inception. So let's, uh, let's, take, let's take Inception. Who wants to, um, uh, uh, who wants to go? <laughs> Well, I mean, I can start with the last one first because it's kind of the simplest, I think. Um, uh, which I don't know, also because I don't know if you guys will have as uh, like as highly developed. We'll have a highly developed discussion about it because it's pretty complicated. But I do think, the, listening to her talk about it, the the piece of work that Inception in this context really reminds me of is the play A Doll's House by Henrik Ibsen. Um, and it actually occurs to me that there are a number of dollhouses that appear in different scenes, I right. think, in the movie. And then, like, the, the house where the safe is that, that Mal's top goes into is sort of looks kind of like a dollhouse. Uh, and the relationship between Mal and Cobb is, is sort of like a dollhouse, too, uh, in the movie, in the play A Dollhouse, in that she, is, she has this pre existing notion of who she's supposed to be that's idealized. She chafes against it. 
right? She she sort of is is tortured by this idea that well, not tortured is too strong a word, but she's tormented internally. She has a lot of angst about this expectations that are set for her, and in the end, she has to leave behind her children as well as her family. And the disturbing part of the play is always like, well, how could a woman leave her children? And and the counterpoint to that is like, are you aware of the extent to which her reality has been defined for her and how messed up that is? Right. And, and like, it's really, it's like, I read a piece in Newsweek um, talking about Mad Men in this context earlier today, uh, where it talked about how um, one of the things that Mad Men does is it shows you just how bad things were for women not that long ago in terms of other people defining who they could be. So, I mean, it's weird to impugn. Uh, inception along those lines as sort of reinforcing the idea that they ought to be or should when it shouldn't because it is a pretty recent part of our history, right? This idea that, well, maybe, I mean, we're still in the generation where women are entering the workforce in new ways. So it's not, it, it does make sense that Mal and Ariadne would be taught this skill by people who've learned it before because if this is like any other professional job, previous generations of it were exclusively men and only now are you starting to see women really enter into the leadership levels and the elite levels at, at, a, at a commensurate pace, right? Because of the way that education has balanced it out, right? So I think that, um, I mean, I, I wouldn't, I don't, once you say all that, you know, and I'm not sure exactly what you do with it, right? It's like, yeah, she's really frustrated. Yeah, he idealizes her and he can't conceive of her as a full person. Yes, she has to leave him and her family and it's very unfortunate and everybody's unhappy, uh, but it's something that she sort of has to do, right? Um, and that, that it's sort of this idea of choreographed humanity, and then, and then, so the construct of the dream, the construct of the film, the constructs of gender and relationships all talk about each other in a certain way. I mean, does that sort of cover what she's talking about? Yeah. Or did I, I mishear? Mean, uh, right. Yeah. yeah. I mean, I, I think it does. And I think that the, um, uh, you know, I think that the point, you know, the, the point that you make that the presentation or, I mean, the kind of, the, the point that is behind the points that you make, the, the presentation or the dramatization of a um, of a problem in gender relations is not tantamount to political advocacy of yeah. is not necessarily tantamount to to political advocacy of any uh, position uh, or yeah. or not right you know you I I actually have heard a, uh, a colleague of mine an actress say uh, uh, say some awful things about. Um, Mad Men because uh, uh, you know very indignant things like you know how you know with all these great actresses out there how dare they you know make a uh, make a TV show where the roles for women are all you know secretaries and housewives and um, and like uh, you know it, it, this misses the point I think fundamentally that um, that uh, Mad Men is about what happens is about the kind of the deformation of your soul that happens when the only roles open to you are yeah. you know as secretary and housewife and uh, about um, what happens when th- those uh, those uh, social options those societal options start to change you know yeah. and there are actually some great great roles for actresses and some great actresses on that mm. you know on that show it's 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 overly simplistic I think to say that. Um, you know, because something because something presents or dramatizes uh, a reality that we're not not happy with, it's endorsing uh, that yeah. you know that reality. Yeah, I mean, I think the other thing is that you know this is a, a play, this is a movie in which a lot of people create the realities through which other people are interpreted, like in their minds, right? So um, this is analogous to what does happen in the real world, where people do kind of have imaginings of each other and expect each other to act in certain ways because of the way that they believe that they are. Um, but even if that's not how they quote unquote actually are, if there even is a way in which people really actually are independently of the way that other people conceive of them or they conceive of themselves or other people are just too 
complicated and immediate uh, to really have that kind of narrativized context for their entire lives and personages, um, if that makes sense. You know, like, like, is there really a true self, right? Or is there just like many, many facets of this thing that is happening, this phenomenon that's taking place that's far too complex for us to really put into, to put into words? Um, the physical, mental, spiritual, all these other things that are going on with human beings. What about the other, so, uh, what about the other points about Inception? About, um, uh, you know, oh, well, I think we can clear up this, this first one pretty qu- quickly. I, I, Philip doesn't make a, doesn't make a stink- distinction between kind of driving the dream, quote-unquote, and tending to the dreamers, um, right? There's always, there's always someone who's left awake as you kind of go down a level to kind of watch the... Uh, uh, you know, to watch everyone, right? And it's, uh, yeah. you know, I think it is the stewardess on the plane, and then it's Joseph Gordon-Levitt, and then it's, uh, no, 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 no. Well, wait. it's, it's um, whoever's... The Indian guy. Man. Yeah, it's, yeah. right, and then the chemist. Joseph Gordon-Levitt, and then it's... Um, wait, does the machine guy. run automatically on the plane, or is somebody staying behind on the plane? I can't remember. I, it's I, a stewardess. A, she pushes yeah, the button a, and makes yeah, it go. Yeah, there's a stewardess. The stewardess pushes the button. Okay. button. And also she closes the, the first-class cabin so that, you know, uh, uh, else can see. So she's a confederate in the, uh, in the whole thing. But yeah. then there, there oh, are... Oh, she's owned, yes. There, yes. there are three other people. So there's one, one person staying, staying awake, and there are, there are three people who are important, actually, in the dream. Uh, one is the, the actual dreamer, that is to say the person in whose uh, unconscious mind the dream is, is taking place. Um, Two is the uh, the subject, the person who is being brought into that dream, and then three. Uh, though this person actually doesn't have to go into the dream uh, in Inception, she does. Is the the architect who has, um, you know, who has uh, uh, designed the the geography yeah. of yeah. Uh, the dream, and you have to um, you have to you have to d- you, uh, distinguish among all those those different roles. So it's mm-hmm. uh, sorry. Long story short, Philip, uh, it's the stewardess. Well, also, because it's the stewardess, that means it could be anyone, right? Like, because it's the stewardess and the stewardess is on the take, then, like, it could be Michael Caine. Like, we don't know. You know, like, like that's kind of the thing is that, like, there's this open-endedness to it. Um, so is it makes it there? possible, but not likely. What? Was, he, was Michael Caine on there? Well, but anybody could have paid the oh. stewardess to make the machine run. Oh, okay. Right? Like, like it's, it's, it's not like they have to – the only reason they have to stay with the machine is because the environment is hostile enough. They don't have control of the environment. There's, there's a risk that the machine's going to stop working. They have an elaborate plan that they need to execute. The stewardess enters in, offers the option that there's a greater plan that's going on. I think they say that someone has paid her, but, like, it could really be anybody. Uh, at that point, you sort of lose track of, of the plot. I think that's on purpose. Yeah. Right. Well, um, yeah, yeah, exactly. And it, yeah. it it sort of it sort of ceases to matter at least at that at that level. Yeah, yeah. Um, but what about I mean you know whole films dream we don't see the top. I mean the point of the the last shot is we don't know whether the top is going to fall down or not. You know yeah. you know what I mean? It's it's uh it's it's one of those. It's not that the top keeps spinning. It's it's that it could it's that it could go either way. And you know um, and what do you think? Is he really home or is he? Uh, wait wait no I've I've been told. I didn't stay, but I'm told right at the end of the uh, credits that the top sound falls over. No, it's, it like it like swivels a little bit, and then you mean if you stay after the credits? Yeah, the, if you roll all the way through the credits, there's a top falling over sound right at the end. No, it's the it's the sound. It's the slowed down. I I did stay through the credits, and it's the slowed down sound of um. Oh. Uh. 
of uh, oh of, of the Jack, song yeah of the of uh, Jeanne yeah. Gretrien right uh, oh I, I've heard it was definitively falling over okay I didn't I didn't stay because that had been way too long for me and I had a big forty eight ounce drink so I had no idea how to get to the credits <laughs> the sound at the end was a peeing that was taking place <laughs> <laughs> it was the thunder was sound effective. of of everybody's big gulp being emptied into yeah. the toilets and the uh, yeah and the I tell you next next time I see Avatar I'm wearing Depends that's I'm just you know that's <laughs> I always weird. would say that about titanic because it's like a three hour long movie and the last hour and a half is running water like how do you not pee during that thing (laughs) my three hour tours don't go that far yes exactly um but so i mean what you know so what um Derailed well, that. Yeah, no. Sorry that. I, What's I, the I, deal I, with airplane food? What's the deal with airplane food? The stewardess is serve it to you. What's the deal with airplane food? And they, they drug you and then they try to incept you with an inception. Um, no, I. Uh, sorry, I was. I, I was actually thinking. You know, I have had a couple glasses of water as I've been sitting here on this podcast. Um, th- this whole question of like, is the whole film is the whole film a dream or not? Look, here's why. Here's why this question annoys me right um one of many the question itself annoys me we i i don't believe that we have a a basis for making an assert uh, making an argument one way or the other so you can make an assertion but the assertion is going to say more about you and your prejudices than it is going to say uh about the movie yes after the opium den we never see the top fall over again and that time when leo leo goes into the bathroom and tries to spin the top and then like knocks it over and Angrily, because you know someone comes in and, and interrupts him after the uh, after the opium den scene, right? Like, um, so the whole thing could become a dream there, or you know, the whole thing I suppose could have become a dream at any point, you know, previous to that, or you know, the dream someone in the dream knows about the top falling down and things like this. We there there just isn't a a, a way of knowing, you know. Can we? Uh, can I argue all, a parallel? Uh, can, sure. can I argue a parallel? Yeah. So six cents pissed me off. Because what I saw in Sixth Sense was that the entire movie was a dream from the time they got, he got shot. In other words, it was a Jacob's Ladder movie. Mm-hmm. And nobody else I know has that position. In other words, there's no little boy. There's nothing from the time he got shot. Because he basically, all the movie happened while he was laying dead or becoming dead on the bed. Oh, like the occurrence at Owl Creek Bridge by Ambrose Bierce? Yeah. Yeah. Well, I don't know that, but sure. Why not? Yeah. Exactly like or, um, oh, what's that? Uh, not Eternal Sunshine. Um, uh, Synecdoche, New York. Right? Yeah. Uh, you know, the whole thing is the, the thoughts of a man. Or that, that uh, Beckett play where the whole thing is like uh, right, before, right before the woman dies. This is her, you know. Right. But of- so, so I'm, at the end of, I'm at the end of Sixth Sense. And I'm going, it's Jacob's Ladder. And everybody goes, what? What? But the boy, the boy, the, the, the guy was dead and the boy didn't, you know, could see him and nobody else. What boy? It's all a dream from the time he gets shot. And if you go back and watch it again, it actually makes sense with my explanation, which is that there is no boy. The, the guy who got shot and it's all a dream on his deathbed. And, yeah. and no, nobody plays it out with me like that. Hey, I'm with you. Uh, this is my, my interpretation of Star Wars. The, oh, the whole thing, in fact, is a dream after the point where the first <laughs> rebel soldier gets killed by the stormtroopers. Everything you see yeah. from that point on is a dream. It's, it's like him lying you think there. About that? You think the, fir- about that? the first three movies are entirely a dream of, of a marketing person. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> that marketing person being George Lucas. Yeah. You said you're going to die? 
Uh, this is actually what I think Johnny Kate plus eight is like. It's like all a dream of the first kid uh, who just as soon as they come out, <laughs> fantasize there are seven other kids. And the whole thing is just some sort of, and then he has a lot of opium. And he, what, do, what do you mean? What do you mean? I'm a, I'm a soul child. <laughs> uh, most episodes of Iron Chef are a hallucination of the chairman uh, who creates the whole world in his own mind. He bites if that I pepper, had a show where well, I could pit two chefs together. <laughs> yeah. Exactly. Your ing- your secret ingredients is my subconscious. <laughs> <laughs> And they have these uh, instruments. Your secret, yeah, your secret ingredient is uh, is safe with me. <laughs> Marvelous. All right. Yeah, well, so I think, with a, yeah, yeah, sorry, Pete. You, you, I was just saying, I think I covered. Wrap us up. Please. Wrap us up in like, like uh, Cristo with the, the fabric. Yes. <laughs> exactly like that, have yes. Have you seen that right. AT&T commercial with the orange fabric being Yes, the, the saffron. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And then the... Yeah, um, just, and it, uh, I didn't see this at first, but I think they um, that uh, someone complained because now I see a disclaimer on that commercial. It says uh, AT&T is not affiliated with the artists Christo and Jean-Claude. Oh, it's just unfortunate. Van Damme? Yes. AT&T is not affiliated with him either. If Christo and Jean-Claude Van Damme got together, that would be pretty awesome. That'd kick ass, man. That would kick ass. If AT&T and Jean-Claude Van Damme... uh, (laughs) Reach out and touch someone. In a time time of of spotty 3G coverage. In a place (laughs) where there is no 3G coverage. Only one man can make the call. (laughs) Two, two, because Chuck Norris can always make the call. Mm. This summer... (laughs) Femtus. <laughs> this this summer, action <laughs> has a new number <laughs> and a two year contract. Yeah. <laughs> this summer, action has a two year contract. This summer and for two years later. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Exactly. Yeah. yeah. Jean Claude Van Damme is the contractor. No, keep spitball. <laughs> the uh, the dial tone. No, the the <laughs> die tone. Oh yeah, there we go. Hey, if people want to hear all sorts of other wonderful insights from us about these sorts of things, where should they go, Matt? Yeah, I guess we have to we have to leave it there. We have we have more uh, email, but we're we're wrapping up on time. So um, yes, that is uh, that is listener feedback so far. Um, we'll I guess we'll have Squeal! to. I guess yeah. I guess we'll have to uh, we'll have to pick it up later. Um, next episode uh, one sixteen is our one hundred and fourth week consecutive weekly episode. That is to say, uh, when we put out we should take next week off. When we put out next week's episode, uh, we will have done a podcast. Uh, every week for two years, and then the following one yeah. begins the third year. So, if you have some suggestions uh, for what we should do, because we take the week questions. off, yeah, yeah, exactly. <laughs> Stop making that damn podcast. Uh, email us at break our cell phone contract day. because yeah. apparently when we when I got my iPhone two years ago, I didn't realize that the contract with AT and T was record a podcast every week. Yeah, yeah. I when that happens. <laughs> Jean Claude Van Tam kicks a guy's phone out of his hand and says, "Your contract has." been terminated (laughs) Um, now you're conflating all sorts of things (laughs) uh the um 
Yes. The uh, the number to call is 203-285-6401. The email address is podcast at overthinkingit.com. And if you want more of us during the week, how could you not? Visit us on the web at www.overthinkingit.com, where we subject the popular culture to a level of scrutiny. Yeah. Probably, probably yes, I'm drinking past Overthinking It podcast, yeah. Matthew Rather, Mark Lee, Peter Fenzel, the rest. Um, you know who I am? I am Squin. I'm just drunk dialing you just to leave a confusing voicemail on someone. I was just going through my phone and saw this number in there. Yeah. I don't know what I'm doing. I just, I just want to make your lives a little more confusing. Nerds! <laughs>